The following is a Journeywise Network production. I am a country music fan, and Reba McIntyre is one of my favorite artists. But, you know, Reba's story is so powerful, not just in the skill and in the gift she has, but because she tells stories so well, and many of them we know come from her past and from her family. Well, her sister, Susie McIntyre, is also an amazing contemporary Christian artist who has had four number one Christian contemporary songs. She has an amazing testimony, though, too, that talks about growing up with such a legendary uh, country music uh, sister, but also of her own personal journey and how her faith with Jesus got her through some very difficult times. We have the privilege today on the You Matter podcast to talk not only to Susie, but her husband, Mark Eaton, about their testimony, about the new ministry they're in, and about all of us, how all of us can matter in the places where God plants us. Welcome to You Matter podcast. Uh, we are so delighted today to have with us uh, two very special guests. Um, first of all is uh, uh, Susie McIntyre Eaton and Mark Eaton. Now I got your names right, correct? Perfect. You did. Okay. Absolutely. I, um, I, I have been known in 30 years of ministry to take someone's name and make it almost into a physics problem, you know, <laughs> uh, but uh, we have uh, certainly been looking forward to having this conversation with you guys, and I've gotten to know a lot about you over the last few weeks, and I know that we have some, uh, some uh, folks who are working in each of our ministries uh, in common, uh, Pamela McClure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Jana Munsinger just think so highly of you, and they're working with us in our ministry as well. And so, thank you guys for for being here. Well, thank you so much for having us on, Shane. Uh, it's an honor. I I know I was asked to be on here by myself, but uh, Mark and I have been married for fourteen years, and uh, we are a a unit. And he is so much a part of my life, and so much of my story that turned around for the good. And um, so I just, I wanted him to be here today to share uh, a little bit about our story and where we are now and where we've come from. Well, I think that is absolutely wonderful. And I'm so glad that Mark could join us as I've gotten to know and read a lot about you over these last few weeks. I just uh, really respect your journey together and just the the countenance that you share. I've watched a lot of a lot of videos, Mark. I, I I knew that Susie was a wonderful entertainer, but I did not know the gifts that you have, and 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 a blues guitar. Most people don't. So yeah. <laughs> do do you play blues guitar? Did I understand blues guitar? I I can play a few riffs in the blues, and beyond that, it's it's a hail marys and good luck. So. <laughs> well, the next time you're in Memphis, we're gonna have to. Uh, get together. I want uh, we we do blues pretty well down here. So, well, the the title of this podcast, you matter um, for you guys, just kind of sort of know the atmosphere that we're in. Uh, several years ago, I began uh, because of my own personal story, and I don't know if you know much about it, but I was born a hemophiliac at the age of sixteen, contracted HIV and Hep C from medicines used to treat my hemophilia, uh, and have been in ministry the first you know, gosh, I started at 19 as a pastor and then went through uh, churches not wanting to take me because of my health and had some other health issues. And so 
it seems like that I've faced a lot of obstacles in life, but in the midst of those troubles, Jesus has been absolutely gracious. And, um, and, and I understand, you know, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. Because I do believe that God plants us at certain places along our journey. And at those intersections, we really do see how our story fits into the greater story. And as I was reading your testimony, Susie, um, I know that you've had um, a, an amazing career. I know you've had a wonderful life, but I also know that it's not always been easy. Right. And here you're in a, a second chapter of, of your relational life. And I, I just see such a great, as I said, countenance of you guys. And, and I want to talk today a little bit about your story, the journey as you made it into, I guess it would be 2009. And when you guys came together, uh, because we do have, I think a lot of people who listen to the podcast, who've been through suffering or difficulty or just the normal problems of life who are wondering, can God use what I've been through to do something amazing in the future? Um, but let's start at the very beginning. And this is a question, I don't know if you've probably ever been asked, but I am not a, a huge charts uh, guy, so I did not know there was a category called positive, Christi uh, pro positive country. A positive and country. So for those of us who are ignorant like me, um, tell us a little bit about what positive country is, because you have been just an amazing uh, person in that regard. Well, it was started uh, back in the... Um... 1993 uh, in that era right there when Integrity Music signed me on to uh, be a recording artist for them and they were of course into praise and worship music really really heavy and uh, so they wanted to branch out a little bit and saw me on the road of uh, in the rodeos uh, doing cowboy ministry and uh, they wanted to branch out and and in that vein came positive country, there were a lot of people out there doing the same thing I did. I, being Reba McIntyre's sister, didn't like it so much because what would that connotate her music as? Uh, you know, negative, negative country music. And so I, I pushed a little bit against it because I didn't want to say that all country music was negative because it wasn't. I mean, if there was any any uh, other genre of music that would give God and country its due, it would be country music and grandma and prayers and all of that kind of stuff. But I signed with Integrity Music and uh, did an album with Paul Overstreet, who was also in country music, but very, very positive in what he was saying in his songs. And so Integrity asked me who I wanted to pattern my music after, and I said Paul Overstreet, and they, they assigned him the job of being my producer for my first album with them. Oh, wow. I know that uh, he has a great reputation, of course. And is, uh, yes, just, he does. Yes. Um, so Susie's music is, instead of someone's drunk, Susie's music is someone got sober and became <laughs> a good dad. Yeah. Instead oh, of, wonderful. Instead of uh, getting out of jail, or going to jail and driving the semi through the hotel mm. or something like that. Mm. Whose music is uh, about people working it out and the cowboy who rode off on the plains because he was mad. Uh, uh, but came back it, home and met Came back wife. home that wife that night and yeah. met his wife coming after him. So her music is really about uh, uh, coming together instead of breaking up. Right. Kind of 
and and when I was little, I didn't really want to sing. I mean, I I went to church with my grandma and grandpa at a little church at Chalky, uh, just right across the highway from where we live today. And I experienced my grandma uh, getting on her knees at night and praying for her kids and her grandkids. And oh wow, I, I knew that Christianity was real. I mean, mm-hmm. out of out of that, me being at grandma's was something a necessity because my mom and daddy would go to a rodeo and they might be gone all week or maybe two weeks. And so somebody needed to keep me and I was the youngest of four kids. And yet what, what seemed like an abandonment to me uh, in my heart was a blessing because I got to stay with them. Um, And then they didn't have a TV. They didn't have an air conditioner. We'd have to listen to the whippoorwills and Bob whites at night through a, a window cracked about this much to get a breeze, but all of those experiences influenced me so much that when I went to a Baptist church revival at 12 years old, I knew that the evangelist was saying it, this, what he was talking about was absolutely real because I saw it in action. I, I just have, I have to interrupt here. If Susie, it's early in the morning. If Susie has the voice to do a verse of the grandma song, if I'm sure it would fit. <laughs> that, rust, that rusty yellow school bus came to pick us up each day and took my sister off to school and dropped me at your house to play. I'd see you waving from the porch down that old dusty drive. And I'd run as fast as I could to your side. You taught me how to garden, and then you'd help me, let me help you cook. <laughs> she let me wash dishes too, but she'd rewash them. Oh, that made me mad. <laughs> that gentle smile was always there, and on your face, that special look. Mm-hmm. And you'd tell me about Jesus, how he lived inside of you. You know I never doubted what you said was true. And that wow. was written by Paul Overstreet and Billy yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Susie, you started singing with your siblings, is that right, as a family? Exactly. Okay. Yes. And um, and I, I guess we ought to mention this. I mean, since people probably are going to see McIntyre and make connections as, you know, Reba. Uh, but um, I that was an important part of the way you developed as you just shared in terms of being able to do this as a family moving forward. But you said you didn't really want to sing. No. So, but what was it about, what was it about that experience that has now etched so deeply into your heart all these years that that's what you do is you sing and share? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, Well, first of all, we were at school at Kiowa, uh, Oklahoma, just, um, Oh, we're about 120 miles south of Tulsa, 120 miles north of Dallas, and um, little bitty school, usually 19 to 20 people graduating in the, the class of uh, the senior class, and my mama was the superintendent's secretary, and so she saw that us kids could sing, and that there were other kids at the school who could play instruments and had talent, and so she went to the school board and said, hey, we need to help these kids flourish in these abilities. And so they gave us one hour a day. They gave us a little bit of money to buy sound equipment and guitars and drums and that kind of thing. We had a stage at the cafetorium. 
And first of all, right there, if you see a need, get up and do something about it. My mama was a great example of that. And I mean, we had basketball programs, we had football at that time, we had baseball, but we didn't have anything to do with the arts and Mm -hmm. in music. And so she did something about it. And uh, I was uh, in the seventh grade when I started uh, in junior high. And when I would get up to sing, my knees would shake, my voice would shake. And it was like, I just barely could get it out. We had to learn one song a week. And the first one I sang was Anne Murray's Snowbird. Oh, gosh. Uh, and that was hard. That was hard. And otherwise, I was singing harmony with Pake and Reba. And uh, the stage, us having developing our stage presence. Uh, and then later on, after I graduated from Oklahoma State University with a minor in accounting, I uh, got on the road with Reba as her companion and as a backup singer, and she showed me the ropes of of standing uh, on the stage at Johnny Carson, uh, going to all of these radio interviews and what to say and what not to say. Uh, She was just a great mentor for me. She did me so much good. And um, those days of singing with my brother and my sister are long gone, except a couple of years ago before mama passed away, we got to be on the Grand Old Opry oh, and, uh, as uh, the stage there at the Ryman. And my mama got to get on that stage at 90, what, 91, One maybe 91. <laughs> and uh, my older sister, Alice, was going to give her her arm to come across the stage. She said, mama, you know, it's dark on this stage. You might ought to take my arm. And she she stiffened up and she said, that's a sign of weakness. <laughs> it sounds like my grandmother. Um, and you we know say, what? I'll fly away. Oh my goodness! And I've been uh, to the Ryman, the original Ryman, uh, several times, and there's always something about the spirit of the place, and it the is. and it doesn't even have to be particularly spiritual or religious. What's happening? There's just something about my, the hair standing up on your arms. You feel it. You know that a lot of folks have come through there. Well. Uh, let me just ask you then about as you've been singing in Christian and gospel music for so long, you've been a part of a lot of and been on scene of a lot of the changes that have happened over Christian music over the last several decades. Yes. Not yes. you haven't been there all those decades, but you've been right. a part of the journey of that. Right. What do you what do you see as um Anything that stands out about those transitions, you know, because a lot has changed. I think originally people uh, thought of, of Christian music in one vein, but now it's it's so much different than it than it was so uh, many years back then. Is there anything in particular that stands out? Well, it you know we used to say that the hymns were the oldies, and uh, <laughs> now the Seven um, Elevens. You uh, sing the uh, same seven words eleven times. Are to <laughs> me, the oldies. You know the the repetitiveness of the eighties. Yeah. You know that we sang over and over and over. That's kind of phased out. Um, I saw mm, Christian music as I. I uh, there was a time there I wouldn't turn on Christian music radio because it just wasn't doing anything for me. Hmm. It seemed like there was like the country music today, it was a formula that everybody was trying to do just to get a number one hit. And there was no, there was no life. And 
And then I got to listening again because when my uh, grandson was born almost four years ago, I was driving over to see him and I got on K-Love again mm-hmm. and I started listening. And, and this is a lesson that we never should ever give up. We've got to stay open to newness. We can't give up. And I noticed that the Christian music of today has more flavor. It has much, it has more meaning to it. There was more storytelling of this happened in my life. Kind of like Amazing Grace did. He didn't come out and say he was a slave trader, but I once was a wretch and now, you know, uh, there was more life in it. And I I thought to myself, Susie, you've got to stay flexible. You've got to don't get to be like one of those old people that say, if it ain't the hymns, it ain't going to be song. (laughs) You know, you got to be open to um, to see what God's doing right now. Well, and I asked that question, that was not on my original list of questions, but as I've spent time, you know, watching again and reading about your life, I, I, I think a lot now of the folks of, uh, who defined worship music when I was coming along as a young pastor, mm-hmm. uh, the church that, that I planted, uh, we were the only contemporary church in town at the time, right. this was late 80s, early 90s. And uh, and boy, we had a, those worship wars were real. Yes, they were. Uh, and it's very real. And a lot of it, though, I think, Susie, has to do with what you just mentioned, which I think is is beautiful, that the, the message is what matters. And right. if you if you don't put the message at the heart of what you're doing, of course, we could say that about every part of life, too. Yeah. Uh, but um, now, during the time that you were developing your career and uh, and you were also a mom and a wife. Uh, you were trying to make a way in the world, and that was not always easy from what I read. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you uh, what you suffered through and endured and, and the things that happened? Right. Well, in your introduction, you were saying, you know, you pursued that career. And when we pursue a career, whether it's, you know, coming home from work every day and being, uh, you know, with your feet under the table every night with your family, something suffers. And um, in 1980, I met uh, my first husband, Paul Luxinger, at the National Finals Rodeo in Oklahoma City. Uh, I had uh, just gotten out of college and uh, Reba was singing the national anthem at the rodeo. And so uh, within the next year in uh, November, we married in 1981. And um, very soon after uh, we married, he showed signs of abuse, uh, very Mm -hmm. narcissistic behavior. Uh, We had our first uh, child in 1984. and he was uh, hard on on EP as a baby, you know, of, of crying or when he started uh, walking and talking, you know, whether he would try to catch him in a lie so he could discipline and mm. not discipline, punish. And so Paul had been abused uh, as a child himself and was allowed to be a little bit of a spoiled uh, male diva in his uh, in his family and. He he just had some things in his life that he couldn't overcome. And so in 1984 was when uh, I rededicated my life to the Lord. I did my first Christian album in 1985. And it gave Paul and I a platform 
in the rodeo cowboy business because he was a steer wrestler and had made it to the national finals rodeo. Um, it gave us a platform at these rodeos to share his testimony and for me to sing. And so that's kind of catapulted us out there. And you try to go to almost every rodeo you can so you can make it to the national finals rodeo in December sure. and make a living. But in the midst of that, we kept having kids being on the road. And the worst thing in the world in ministry is like, so maybe you promise your kids after church, we're hmm. going to go eat and then we'll go do something. Well, someone else asked us to go do something else and we have to tell our kids no. And and it's not because it's just we have to do this. And sure. I think that is the worst thing in the world. Um, my kids have said, if dad was a, an alcoholic, it wouldn't have been so bad, but he was a preacher. Mm. Uh, he whooped us too hard. He disciplined us too hard. He was uh, he was good at some things, but, you know, those scars are still there. So we rocked along. We went to a lot of counseling. We uh, were in front of a lot of conference speakers. Uh, we did Nova Shalom. We did all kinds of stuff trying to get well, and yet it would not stop. Finally, one of our friends from Seattle, Washington, uh, he was a pastor there, Hutch, Ken Hutcherson. He says, uh, Paul, if this happens again, I'm going to come down there to Oklahoma. And he played for Dallas. Cowboys with football team. Uh, sure. And he said, uh, if that happens again, if you lay your hands on her again, I'm going to come down there. I'm going to show you what it feels like mm. for a bigger man to whoop on, on a smaller man. Mm. But you know what? <laughs> the physical abuse stopped, but the verbal and the emotional abuse wouldn't stop. Sure. sure. And you uh, said you said something about counseling. I, I don't mean to interrupt you because what you're talking what? about is so important and you're doing it in such a beautiful way. But one of our divisions in our ministry here at the Center for Applied Theology is uh, faith and wellness, particularly mental health wellness in the church. Mm -hmm. And um, and so we are spending a lot of time right now trying to help particularly pastors and their families because yes. you know we're, we're we have a we have a real struggle in the church right now in terms of the health of pastors and their families. Did it take you a while as a family to figure out that something you knew something was not right, mm -hmm. but how to how to address or even how to reach out for counseling? What was that transition like? It it was real easy for Paul to uh, go for counseling. I was pretty quiet about it, you know, mm -hmm. because. I, um, I mean, I would get, I would get very emotional about it on stage and we were vocal about it. We, 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 uh, authored a book. I had a CD that went with the book called a tender road home. It told our stories individually and then how we got together and how we were living this. And we were very vocal about it. Uh, we even moved to, um, the state of Washington to live underneath Ken Hutcherson and his wife to yes, help. I'd read that story. Yes. Yes, to try to help that. And it was easy for us to go to counseling. But when the rubber meets the road, when you're in your house and nobody else is around, it doesn't matter. I mean, Katie, bar the door, it's just full fledged and everybody feels the brunt of that. And um, he just wouldn't quit. And so one day um, I asked, I, we had two separations and I, I was in the midst of the one in 2006. And uh, he, um, 
he just came in and, and verbally abused me, uh, cussed me out and told me how ugly I was and how inept I was. And I was keeping books, I was accounting, all this kind of stuff and singing and being a mom. And so I looked up at him as he was talking to me and I just said, God, you could drop him right now. Hmm. You could. Would you please drop him? Sure. Just cause his heart to stop. I, not just for me, but these kids, for hmm. mankind. And he left and went on his, got on his horse and went up in the hills and we live on a ranch. And I went in on my bed and I, um, I cried out to God and I said, God, I'm so sorry. I, I just wished my husband dead. I just killed him, you know. And um, I said, but would you please do something in this marriage? And in the quietness of my heart, he said, why don't you? Hmm. And Shane, I think this comes from me being the fourth of four kids. I'm sure my my sisters and my brother did everything for me as I grew up. I was a baby, a true baby of the family. And it was God, God said, grow up and grow some. I mean, it's like you take up for yourself. You do something. Wow. But it was like he was on my side. Sure. I'm I'm for you here. You do what you need to do. And I I went and I I filed for divorce. I thought I would never in my life file for divorce. I fought for that marriage for 26 years, and yet I needed to be strong. And you know, so you know I, Susie, in our conversations we've had in our podcast, there may not be a more important time that we've talked with someone as important as what you just said. Because we do encounter a lot of folks who don't understand that God is your advocate all the time. He's always on your side. But there is a part of life where you have to trust him and then walk into that future, walk into those changes and those transitions. Um, Once you started doing that, um, tell us a little bit. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but just finish out what you were going to say then. But I just wanted our, our listeners to hear that here's an individual that had a lot of acclaim against certain standards, but yet your life was so broken that you'd gotten to a point where now you're crying out to God for the most, probably the thing that you had never thought about or never even could have imagined you would have asked God for, because this is where where your heart was in terms of the breakdown in your spirit. Can you tell us a little bit more about that after you? Well, I, I don't believe that God uses don't divorce as a thing over us to keep us in an abusive marriage. Sure. But men do. Yes. Religious religion does. And yes. Men certainly do, especially a pastor or a preacher like my husband was. We're not going to even let the word divorce come into this marriage. And you know why? Because the woman will say, no, I'm not taking this anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'll lose her. He'll lose the one that he wants to beat on. And so ultimately, I removed his target. I removed his target. I removed my kids and I removed myself and I filed for that divorce. And I said, whatever is making you so angry, please go find what it is. You're still on salary from this ministry. You won't have to do without just go find out what's what's wrong. Uh, He never did. He never did. And he passed. He passed from cancer and um, he died fighting me and wanting more. And even after I married Mark. So I'm so sorry. Uh, yes. Well, thank you. Uh, I, um, I, I 
respect him as my kid's father because uh, they love him in spite of what went on, but they're not deceived. They know what he was fighting. Well, Susie, please know this. I'm the child of divorced parents, and so is my wife. Um, But I will tell you, my mom, if she had not taken me and left, two things would not have happened. Number one, um, I do think that she would have been harmed at some point because the the anger between she and my father were. But the the thing that then this is where I want to bring Mark in. The thing that the other thing that happened with her deciding to make that change is she met my stepfather, who turned out to be the most amazing man, who raised me because I was only six at the time who raised me and and has taught me how to be a godly father and a godly husband. So 2008, nine comes along and all of a sudden you've got this. And now do I understand this, Mark? You're a motorcycle riding, uh, CrossFit. (laughs) uh, And a uh, tattoo. Yes. See, all of a sudden this guy comes into your life. Tell us a little bit about that transition. Well, I, he's talking about you still, Susan. This guy comes into your life. <laughs> well, I, um, uh, from 2006 to 2008, I was still traveling by myself, and I had gone to Cannon Beach, Oregon quite a few times during the years um, for, to Ecola Bible School. They have a conference there, and it was in June of 2008. And so I was up there minding my own business, and this guy kept following me around. I just don't know what he was doing there. So, no. <laughs> we met so, at the supper table. There's, there's oh, a, wow. a gentleman who's a therapist and a good friend of mine, Dr. Harv Powers, who's from the Redemere Group in uh, Denver. Mm. And he, he was speaking at Cannon Beach, not to get too deep in the details, but this sort of divine intervention and meeting happened. I came down from Seattle to uh, be with Harv and have a beer or a glass of wine it went during one of his breaks or whatever. And he said, I've got a suite. You can sleep on the couch. Beautiful. So I drove down. Susie was the uh, singer and music for that conference. So she flew out. Harv flew in from Denver. I got there a couple minutes late, driving in traffic, what have you. And uh, Susie said, Harv, is your friend still coming? And Harv said, yes, he's kind of stuck in traffic. He'll be here in a few minutes. They left the seat for me. So I, when I finally got to the dinner table, mm-hmm. uh, I sat down beside my buddy Harv and, and uh, we did pleasantries around the table. And I knew some of the folks there from former life. And I looked at Susie and I said, I, hi, I'm, I'm Mark. She said, I'm Susie. I said, I suspect you're the music. She said, I am. You'll <laughs> excuse me. I have to go do sound check. Very brief. And very there, brief. There meeting. she went. So the, <laughs> that night. But I looked. <laughs> I looked at his left hand ring finger and it was empty. Oh wow. There you go. There it was. It was not without it was not without strategic planning there. <laughs> a little bit. I uh, I heard her sing that night and Harv and I both mentioned uh, later on back said uh, that lady can sing. Yeah, absolutely. And I wasn't much of a country music fan being from Seattle with Pearl Jam and Jimi Hendrix and and uh, the others out there. Oh, yes. Oh, and yes. so the next morning, though, she sang a song that really seemed weird to me, that why would that girl that looks like she's fresh out of Betty Crocker, why would she sing a song like that? And mm-hmm. so I, I studied her and I wondered about her. And I said to myself, there's more to her story than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I also learned that she was Reba's sister. So I said, well, that might explain a few things. And I learned that she was single that morning. So I probably did stare at her a little bit. She says I did. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I also noticed she was kind of cute, uh, as you can see clearly. Absolutely. And so after that, uh, after Harv spoke and that morning session was over, I approached her and we went for a ride down the beach and I ate a couple of oyster shooters, which impressed him very much. Oklahoma girl. <laughs> I told her I'd like to know more of her story. I'll pick you up at three. And she said, that sounds good. So uh, we spent a couple hours together getting, we were, we were same age and stage. We were similar space and place, if you will. In, <laughs> Oklahoma, in, Seattle. <laughs> in life, there was this cultural, substantial cultural difference. Uh, Susie thinks she's all about the Western lifestyle, and I informed her Oklahoma is Central USA. I'm from Seattle. <laughs> here about Western lifestyle. Now that's that's Western, yes. <laughs> so we had to consolidate our language. If she didn't hear me, she'd say, "Do what?" And I said, "Do what? I don't want you to do anything. I, I, I just." He said, "Where is it?" And I said, "It's over yonder." Which, <laughs> So anyway, that was a year and a half later. We we got to know each other. A phone call once a week became a couple times a week. Mm-hmm. Then eventually became every morning on my way down the hill, and and then several times a day. And um, I flew back to meet her parents, who were both still alive, and her family, and proposed to her a year and a half later. And uh, we got married thirteen oh, wow. days after that. That back is at fantastic. Yeah. Back at Cannon Beach, Oregon. I was, I was booked to go back to Cannon Beach for their Christmas conference. And so we went there and oh my. Ended up, is... we got married there. Now, I understand that you guys together have six children. Yes. And yes. how many grandchildren? Uh, let's see. Um, you've got, you're going on nine. I've got two. I think I've got, I think I'm going on 10. You got, I'm not yeah, quite okay. sure, but. Uh, I, I Yes, I do have three children who are all independent, living in different parts of the U.S. and married with children. Susie's three live uh, real close to the ranch, actually. Um, Two on the ranch and one in south of Oklahoma City. And they work together mm. daily. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're yeah. expecting our first grandchild uh, in August. And uh, we have three daughters, but our middle daughter is pregnant. And so we were waiting on that first grandchild. But I have been a, a family of all girls. I have a sister, uh, three daughters, a wife. Uh, all of the pets are, you know, are, are think are female. But we have a grandson on the way. So we'll see oh, how good. we'll see. But um, what would you say then, you guys coming together, um, you're talking about cultural differences, geographic differences. What was the thing, though, that that was the light that went off that said there's no difference that can't be addressed? What was that conversation like? For me, I I really bullet pointed during my the loss of my 30 year marriage. And that's that's a whole story surrounding that. I I went into the belly of the whale for quite a while Mm -hmm. and got worked and uh, I tried to do a lot of transactions with God. And uh, he, he basically shrugged his shoulders and said, I'm not really about that. And I, I said, let's look at the score. I did a Job thing. And at the end, he said, you're in the belly of the whale and I'm in control and I'll spit you up on whatever beach I want. And um, mm. it turned out I, I didn't know the beach. Turned out I, um, turned out 
turned out I sounded different to even to myself. Uh, I think I walked different and there was a, a real transformational aspect. I, I never shook my fist at God, um, but I did fight with him. And a friend of mine asked me one time, Mark, where is God in your life? Implying that I had fallen out of grace. And I said, dude, God is the only thing I have. I haven't wow. fallen out of grace. I've fallen into grace. Wow. What a beautiful saying. I just don't look like you think I should look. And God is, God is not in, he, at that point, I didn't think he was using me. We were, I was still healing and I still am. But it, recently the sentence came to mind, God uses us not in spite of our past, but because of our past. Absolutely. And he writes, Praise God. writes that into the story. It's, so I, I'm about the transformational process that doesn't have real clear edges and boundaries. It's ongoing. It weaves the entire history of, of Genesis to Revelation and our part in our own personal epistle, epistles that we're writing. And um, so I even forget the original question, but I came, I came to Susie and you're doing great. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I ask. I like that. Right. <laughs> I came to Susie and, and when I put the ring in front of her, I said, I'm serious. And we talked about our Look past. That. Beautiful. My Look goodness. <laughs> wow. We talked, to, we talked Good job, Mark. Our, our past. And she said, I think it's a little, thank you. I think it might be a little early. Uh, I don't know that I'm ready. And she said, can I do this? She, she asked that, she asked that question of herself to me, can I do this? Mm. I said, I know I can do this and I'm pretty sure you can do it and we're going to do it together. Wow. But all the way back to that one night, I picked her up after a concert and was driving her up to my hometown. It was about a four hour drive. And I just got busy with bullet points. <laughs> I said, this is me. This is me. This is me. What's the, what it about you? And I told her my history. I gave her bullet points. What's your position on this? What's your position on this? What do you think about that? And I, we had similar core values about what makes a good life. Mm. We had similar core values about what happens when life disappoints us. And we, we have differing agreements. What do we do with that? Do we get angry? Do we withdraw? Do we pout? Do we go silent? Do we punish? And we had similar core values. We had similar core values on, on what would you do on a day off? We had similar core values about, uh, do you think God cares if I smoke a cigar? And her response. I hope not, because I love my cigars. <laughs> I've I've had more conversations about Jesus because of tattoos, whiskey, and cigars than I ever did when I was a pastor. I spent twenty years Preach in it, brother. I got left out. You get left out of the best conversations with the real people because of that title and that position. And um, so, it's it's about the core values. Everything else can be solved. Toilet lit up, toilet lit down, who cares? How you wash the dishes, who cares? You can, mature people can work through deferring to each other on that. But in our 50s, it's kind of late to really adjust our core values. Hmm. And uh, one of Susie's core values that I shared was really serving people and helping people. And we weren't worried about 
riches. We wanted to live a good life. We both liked to travel and we just blended lifestyles uh, because I think we had we had the same heartbeat, maybe different language, but the same heartbeat. And I think we are the confluence of the Susie River and my river have finally sort of blended together. And I think we found our pace. We've synthesized some of our language. We've learned how to fight with each other uh, better and stay engaged and say what's true and not pretend and continue to love and stay hooked at the same time. And we, we've, uh, we've got a long ways to go. I'm, I'm, I still walk with a limp. God touched my hip and I'm still limping. And Susie probably is too, but she won't admit it. Your turn. <laughs> you know, you guys are just beautiful to watch. You can tell that you have, you can tell you share these values that are at the core of who you are. And it's a wonderful thing to see. Guys, I want to tell you about a project that we have been working on for a long time, and we are so excited that it is officially out in the world for you to get to be a part of. Yes. Shane, why don't you tell us a little bit about our newest book? Well, it's part of a Life Along the Way series. Jesus was referred to as the way, the first 200 years of church, his life. And, um, and so how do you walk along the way with Jesus? What we've done is taken all four Gospels and the first chapter of Acts. We put them into chronological order, and they've come out into... 360 devotionals. And so in four 90-day devotionals, you can walk with Jesus every day in the same pattern and same that the Bible has it. And the first one is Jesus with us. It's the first 90 days. talks about the beginning, the prophecies of his birth and the, the, the coming of the Lord. And then it talks about his birth and several years after that and just helps you to feel like you are at the very beginning, truly at the start of the journey of Jesus and what a powerful impact that can make in your life. So you and I have been doing this yes. for a year. We've been walking through 365 days with Jesus. And yeah. I think for myself personally, what's been so impactful about reading it in chronological order and, and reading it slowly, we don't, we're not skipping around uh, on what we like yeah. about what Jesus says and yeah. what he doesn't, right? We're spending time in all of his words yes. and getting to know him as a whole person. And so I think whether our listeners are um, have been walking with Jesus for a long time or maybe are just wanting to get to know Jesus, this is a great devotional for them. C.S. Lewis says, if you're going to tell the story, you need to tell the whole story. And this is the whole story. Yeah. Well, guys, I want you all to get a copy of this book. We'll put the links in uh, the show notes for you to be able to get a hold of it. It has been truly life transforming for me, and I want you to be a part of it as well. Join us on the journey. Part of your bio was about your show is that what are we doing in the community where we live now? And yes. uh, when Mark was in the state of Washington, he was very into his community. Me, I went outside the community and sang Cheyenne, Wyoming, Pendleton, up into the, you know, in Canada, mm. um, in the Northeast, the Southeast, all over, but nothing here in my hometown. I was disconnected. And yet in 2020, uh, beginning in March, my mama died and everything because of COVID shut down. I mean, it took me forever to just not wake up and think, what am I packing today? What time do we have to get to the airport? What's going on? Because my life continued 
and touring continued with Mark and even more after uh, we got married. And so life changed for so many people during that time because it just shut us down. And it even shut Reba down. She came in after. She stayed with us for 12 weeks. Right. For 12 weeks. Oh, wow. We were just cleaning mama's house out and doing things, you she know, travel. Um, casting lots for uh, pots and pans and, and chairs and this and that. And uh, so we got her house all cleaned out and everything, took her back home. And uh, Mark was seen in this town as an outsider. If you weren't born here and your grandparents weren't born here and, you know, if you don't have a history here, you're an outsider and suspect. Mm -hmm. And so he began to take his computer down to our local uh, Mexican food restaurant, the El Adobe, and just sit and write. And people would come by and say, well, what, what's going on with you? That what are you pretty, doing? That what's was pretty odd in, in cowboy country to sit at a computer in a, in a pub. and Yeah, kind of like Starbucks at, in Washington. You yeah, know, but yeah. I had sure, that. sure. Well, well, I know exactly what you're talking about yep. because we had a small town that we planted a church in. And it the, the only place you could go to eat was the Mexican restaurant. And everyone went there. But it became the center of the community. But... Mm -hmm. um, I do understand the, the types of conversations you probably had there, Mark. So go on. Go ahead. So that, that developed a relationship or two and then another relationship or two. And then we attended church. I'm going to back way up. Uh, traveling and speaking for nearly 30 years on, on my end, in the, certainly independent of Susie. Mm -hmm. And we think we probably bumped into each other at one or two conferences. Uh, after my divorce in going into the belly of the whale, I was silent for four and a half years. Didn't speak, phone didn't ring, nobody called me. And one night in Louisiana, Susie said, Mark, I want to bring you up on stage tonight. And I, I said, uh, she said, I want you to share what we've been talking about right here backstage. And my words were precisely, and I quote, I, Susie, I'd really rather not. And she, she looked at me and said, it's time. Mm. Wow. And I heard that as the voice of God through Susie. And I submitted to her in that, that respect. And uh, I shared that night and have been talking on stage or singing on stage with her since then. So she literally gave me a voice back and it's a wow. different voice though. It's a different voice. It's a, I didn't used to like my voice at all. And that night when I heard my voice come through the microphone and out the house speakers and the monitor, I was shocked. And I said, who is that guy with that pleasant, quiet, who is that voice? It sounded different to my own head. Oh my and no explanation. I, I, I really don't have a lot to say about that, except a, a bit of the transformational piece that somehow God did the work. I didn't, I didn't hole up and hide from, I didn't, uh, like I said, shake my fist at God. I decided that Unless my kids are going to say, Dad, everything you have ever said since we've known you is a lie. And I didn't want that. I knew I needed to stay in the process. And I knew I needed to keep my heart open and my hands open. And I better go for the ride or I'm going to be the biggest hypocrite ever. 
So I decided to take the ride and it was no fun. But so this led you to a particular ministry, right? That you're doing. Well, it did when I decided I didn't want to be like Adam and Hyde. Right. I, I decided that I wanted to try to stay open. And um, so many folks that go through hard times, particularly divorce and notwithstanding Susie in this conversation, but they and pastors are fabulous at this. They go to three weeks of rehab, then they're healed. God healed them and they're back in the pulpit. Yeah. And forgive my language. Well, I just won't say it, but I, I don't buy that at all. Yeah. But most if you listen to them. The story goes something like this. If you knew how hard my wife was to live with, you would understand why I did what I did. Mm. If you understand how hard my husband was to live with and that our marriage was sexless, that our marriage was all public, and you would understand what I did, what I did. And I just chose to not do that. I speak highly of my ex-wife uh, and I, I don't I don't blame take full responsibility and uh and i think that's one reason why so susie did backtracking put me on stage that night and uh we i've done a men's retreat for many 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 years an annual gathering of men and we call it the conversation and we needed the ability to uh, uh, collect donations for the conversation so we formed the eaton leadership foundation so uh, I talk with pastors, Christian leaders, both local and around the country, uh, often business leaders as well. I, I had a phone call with a business leader this morning in Atlanta, and we just help them through the process of, yeah. uh, of saying what's true and pretending about nothing. I love that. We work them through the process of what's it mean to uh, become a man who's strong enough to put down his fist and take the punches of life. Uh, we, we work on issues like, are you strong enough to be vulnerable? And mm. if, if vulnerability and sharing your heart is child's play and, and for sixth graders, then why are you scared to death about it, you big boy? <laughs> why is it so hard for you to do? Mm. And why can't you tell your son you love him? And we just had the death of a very close friend of Susie's and I. In the last couple of months, he's been telling people, his own friends, who he has a lifetime, I love you, to his buddies. And it shocked them so much, but it was true. Mm -hmm. He wasn't just saying it. It wasn't a love you, love you. That was cheap. It was true. He meant it. He felt it. Yeah. He felt yeah. it. And he was saying it in almost an odd premonition yes. sort of way. And at his funeral, that came out. This man was softening. He was getting his touch, in touch with his heart. I had the privilege of, one, doing his funeral for his family, and two, walking with him a couple times a week as his heart was opening up. And um, anyway, that's in part what I do. And I love it. Susie's mm -hmm. an absolute huge part of that. And the event is called The Conversation. We typically do it in May here in Oklahoma. Where do you believe right now you matter in uh, God's kingdom and in the work that God's doing around you. Shane, I thought that where I mattered was on the road, that what I where I mattered was when people asked me to come and do a concert of hour and 15 minutes and how Mark was integrated that into with me. 
but uh, that was pretty much stripped uh, after COVID because I, I did have a case of COVID and mm. it caused autoimmune, my psoriasis to flare back up and it caused psoriatic arthritis and uh, such a, a lot of pain. Um, I got down to 112 pounds, uh, which was uh, losing a lot of weight. Uh, but, you know, with the long hauler COVID type stuff, nothing tasted good, you know, just loss of appetite. So I got to where Mark had to put me in and out of the bathtub, put me in and out of bed. And so if I wanted to go saying I really couldn't, one of our biggest um, venues is Cheyenne Frontier Days in July, the big rodeo that goes on there last year, right before uh, we were to go three, I think two days, maybe. Yeah. I just didn't feel good. And Mark said, let's, let's do a COVID test. And I had COVID again. So oh, that was the second bout. Not hard cases at all, just barely felt it. And then just inflammation entered my body. Um, I couldn't, um, we work out CrossFit. I was doing 195 pound deadlift. Uh, couldn't do that anymore. Barely lift 55 pounds. Oh, so gosh. I've had this. I've had this season of being sick and I hardly ever was sick before, but in the last few weeks, uh, and then fell and broke my hip in, in, in the gym, which was a total accident. I'm sidelined, mm. sidelined. And I had to ask myself, who am I? Am I mm. a singer? Am I Reba McIntyre's sister? And way before that was I my, my brother's sister, my other sister, my daddy was famous. My grandfather was famous in rodeo. Who am I? Mm. And I had to come to the point of that. That's not my, that's my, that's not my definition. Mm. I'm And being sidelined and then us becoming uh, pastors, Pastors here in uh, Atoka at Cornerstone Church, where Mark speaks and I help with the music. It's uh, caused us to be more of this community where I never was before. I have friends. I have friends that Mark has friends. And um, and we're here and wow. entrenched into this community. Well, you guys certainly do matter. You can tell that I can just sense it. I hope that our paths will be angled together in some way yes, because I've just loved having a chance to get to talk to you. Mark, question for you then. Where do you feel like you matter? I, I can tell Susie, she's doing what my wife does a lot of times. She's talking about where she matters, but it's also where we matter. I can tell that this is something that's very much about you guys. Anything that you want to add to that? I can remember saying, uh, I don't think God will use me anymore. <laughs> and I will probably end up in some sort of, and I don't want to name a vocation or anything mm -hmm. because those are good, but it's not what I had done. Sure. Um, and so I felt like I would end up in um, a very humble spot. And I remember saying that in a proud way like a humble spot is a bad a bad thing to be right and where i'm at now is that i'm in that humble spot i i i hope and 
God was very kind to me, way kinder than I deserve by allowing me to meet Susie and, and us to join up. But there's... You told me just the other day, you said, I believe I have more friends here living the last 14 years in this community than I did in my past life in Washington. Yeah. Wow. I was super well connected. But he's a different man. Yeah, yes, yeah. sure. He's a different man. I think they I think some of my connected He was the man in Washington in his town. But he's a man who sits mm. and visits and asks the right questions of these guys and they're coming to him. I need to come see you. I want to sit with you. Well, and can you ask for anything more than someone who who wants to know how you do what you do and crave that wisdom, that light that they see in you in Christ. I think that's an amazing thing, Mark. Yeah. Um, thank you. I think I matter. I think there's, mm -hmm. I think I matter to Susie. Yeah. I think that if, if I get caught up in myself and my own small story in my own um, limp, then, then I start mattering to me. But I think I matter to Susie. I think I make a difference in her life. I think I impact her. She certainly matters to me. She makes an impact on me, how she's doing, how she's not. I think I matter to this congregation, and they matter to me. Mm. Uh, I, I think that for better and for worse, that I have that impact. And that's, that's all of that is way beyond what I deserve way beyond. Uh, Susie saved my life. She gave me a voice and God has, God has orchestrated this thing in the most subtle conductor sort of flips of the finger and glances of the eye. I don't even, I can't tell. I don't see this giant story unveiling. We just do it and it seems to unveil and, and I don't have a lot of God talk or spiritual talk or fancy answers uh brother your answers are exactly what they need to be they're real and they're genuine and you can tell that so I, I love the fact that you both talked about how you matter because someone else matters to you yeah and and that's such a big deal and we don't hear that a lot because we've interviewed people from major league baseball players to you know heads of billion dollar corporations and you know, so people who've done all of our folks have people who've done significant things in their lives and they've been at those crossroads. But to hear what you said is just wonderful. So um, I told them uh, I you. was in a master's program uh, and it was a it was a, a Christian theological master's program. And I went down to talk to the president of the program and, and sit with him and tell him that I was dropping out. I needed to get my life together. And I needed to organize and, mm -hmm. and uh, I just didn't have the energy. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. let's think about this. Uh, what was your master's uh, thesis going to be about? I said, transformational leadership, because I thought I knew what transformation was about. Mm. I didn't know anything. Mm. I, I read two books on it or something. And so he said this, here's, here's what we're going to do, Mark. You're going to stay in the program. And you're going to transform in front of us and you're going to write about it. Do wow. not write an academic paper. Do not produce an academic piece. Your master's thesis will be about the transformational process. Now get on with it. And that changed that among many others 
saved my life. And he told me about Peter, Jesus. Mm. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that you might not fall. And Shane, there's a hard stop right there. The next sentence is, doesn't say, but get into a Bible study, but get into accountability group, but go confess all your sins, go see your pastor, go start praying more, pray more, pray more, because God, God, if you pray a lot, God owes you a lot. Mm. That when it says that Satan would sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you, hard stop. When you return, Mm. strengthen the brothers. So I don't know if I've returned or not, none of my business. But there was a time when suicide was very close to my fingertips. Mm. And Dr. Lobaki's words echoed in my brain, when you return, when you return, when you return. And I thought, if I do this, I can't return for my grandkids, for my children, for, for everything that I have ever held true in my life. I have to return. That, that was another thing that saved my life. So my master's thesis was, was titled, when you return, mm. a journey of transformation. I love it. And I, I think the phrase of this podcast that we've done with you guys is just get on with it. I love that phrase <laughs> that you just said, Mark, because, and those of you who are listening, I want you to think about God has not gone anywhere. God is right there with you. God is there yeah. in every step yeah. of the way, wanting you to be transformed and experience the power. But as Mark said earlier, not, not uh, you know, in any other way than because of what you're going through, he's present with you. So just get on with it. That's going to be our thought for the day. And I just want to thank you guys, Susie and Mark. Thank you for being part of uh, You Matter today. Thank you. We have really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Let's do something together again, Shane. (laughs) You bet. Uh, Take a moment, if you would, to please hit that subscribe button. And we also need you to do a five-star rating And then, of course, we would love a review. We are a ministry of JourneyWise Network, and we would love to hear back from you. So go to journeywise.network and send us a message that we can share. God bless you.